we're totally onto something. This is just gonna be so great. And then we started testing, and then we realized that we're not at all onto anything. Nobody understood <laughs> anything about the game. They couldn't pick up a brick, they couldn't place it, they didn't understand what it was about. It felt unfocused because of it trying to be a representation of a world more than just being the Lego bricks. And for that reason, it's hard for the Lego group to prioritize something that it isn't very strong at doing yet. Maybe this is not a story, maybe it's a poem. It doesn't matter if they get it. It was so weird because it was like, oh, it just hit me somehow. It was just like, this is exactly it. And I was, I was like, that, that's, that's got to mean something. And I actually remember listening to it uh, on my way to the office and crossing the big bridge. And I cried. Bits and Bricks. Welcome to Bits and Bricks, a podcast about all things Lego games. I'm Ethan Vincent. And I'm Brian Crescenti. Together, we look back at the rich 25-year history of Lego games, chat with early developers as well as seasoned studios who have all tackled the creation of video games for one of the most popular and respected toy companies in the world, the Lego Group. This week, we look at the journey of Builder's Journey and the builders who made it. Um, we're going to take a look at Lightbrick Studio and how they went from an experimental offshoot of Lego games to a venture-funded independent studio focused on creating video games. That's basically been able to capture the essence of Lego play. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool story. I'm excited. Yeah, I love the story of Lightbrick Studio, this sort of foundling uh, Lego group game studio that is now spun off to become its own thing, standing on its own two little minifig feet. <laughs> nice. Uh, th their very first game was Builder's Journey, which uh, launched just this last winter when Apple Arcade hit the scene. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the game. It's an artistic, evocative creation that really, I think, encapsulates both a sense of building with Lego bricks as well as sort of underscoring the importance of family play. Yeah. It, so it launched, it went on to garner all of these, uh, all of this praise from press and from players. It even uh, won an award, which I, I think may not be its its final award. We're just entering the award season. Uh, so it's it's a game that I think has had a big impact. Yeah, totally. And and the thing that is interesting with any creation of any video game, right, Brian? Yeah. Um, there are these journeys, you know, just like Builder's Journey. It was a journey unto itself. Um, this one had all the usual ingredients it takes to make a great game. Mm -hmm. uh, the spitballing of ideas, uh, the experiments, the drama, you know, the near misses, surprise solutions, uh, just a stew of emotions yeah. and personal efforts to move the game forward. You know, it's never easy to make a good game right. and even harder to make a great one. But a lot of the accomplishments of the Lightbrick Studio team and it took a talented team to create the game. A lot of the accomplishments in this core idea for the game and the studio can't be traced to one person, Karsten Lund. Right, Brian? Right. Uh, Karsten Lund has this decade-long history in game development yeah. uh, that includes work at major studios like IO Interactive and Square Enix Montreal. He joined the Lego group in 2014 as a creative director and then spent the next three years or so deeply immersed in essentially the Lego brand and, and learning the company's history and its play systems and, and building this really, I think, what would become an important rapport with the rest of the Lego games team. But the story of Builder's Journey actually starts as part of Lunt's own personal journey. 
actually thinking about making games has been part of my life as, as long as I can remember. So I'm always trying to sort of talk to partners and project the ideas and say, hey, what about this? And could we do something like that? And, and you know, so it's been in me for, for, for a long time, I think. The real sort of spark of the idea came when, when for personal reasons, I had to move to Copenhagen. I think uh, we as a family were ready to sort of go back to what we call home after a very, very long journey, both in Canada and in, and in Vejle. In um, and that sort of uh, brought the opportunity of trying to do something new out of sort of a satellite, uh, if you will. And there, there was a few ideas that had been simmered for a while. And, and I think at, at some of the meetings with partners, I've been sitting there secretly thinking, I just want to be you uh, <laughs> rather than... <laughs> uh, because I really felt the sort of uh, the need to go back to hands-on development again, but also sort of, ah, oh, I had some ideas of what if we just did something simple, something something that was a very core, core to the Lego idea, something that really just celebrated what it actually is, um, rather than sort of go towards the more role-play, IP-driven side of the thing, which is also beautiful and interesting, but we just do that a lot. So there was this idea of saying, hey, let's let's go to the pure, let's go to the source, let's go to what it was all about, what it, where it came from, this idea of a brick and a connection and a stud, and something that goes together. How can we get there? Um, so that's where it started, I think. And I had the opportunity because we had a sort of a, a mobile team. We had a, an innovation funnel where we wanted to start some new experiences. And I, I pitched three ideas into that funnel. And one of them was chosen, and that was called Path of Creation, I think it was called back then. But that was eventually what turned into Builder's Journey. Uh, so it's interesting, just going back a little bit prior to your time at the Lego Group, I know that you you worked on I, I you obviously as you mentioned you worked on games before you went to the Lego Group. Uh, yes. One of the games that you worked on was actually one that I really really enjoyed. And when I look at it, I actually see some similarities between it and Builder's mm-hmm. Journey, and that's Hitman mm-hmm. Go, which was the yes. uh, iPhone game. Yes. And to me, the similarities are that just like with Builder's Journey, it seems like what Hitman Go does is it takes this really complex idea of what the Hitman games are and boils it down to its essence and then presents it in a sort of diorama sort of perspective. Mm. Mm. Do, do mm. you feel like there's similarities there? Yeah, definitely. I think, if, I mean, I was also creative director at that point, so I can't take the full credit for, for that game at all rather than actually protecting it from some uh, from some of the designers who actually pitched this idea into our innovation funnel at Square Enix Montreal. The guy was called Daniel Lodge, and I'm a huge fan of his work. He's such a such a beautiful designer. And I think we were all in sort of, we went to Canada to do sort of big AAA titles, and we, we did a change of direction into this sort of high-end mobile games, more sort of coffee table experiences, the coolness of, of what a game can be. And I think it opened my eyes, that whole world, to new interesting experiences with the medium. So in that sense, that kind of sort of sparked slowly that you can actually do something simple. You can constrain yourself creatively enough to set you free to do something new. And I think that's that was a huge inspiration, no doubt about it. Um, and obviously Lego lends itself so very well to this sense of models and sense of yeah, smallness, if you will, right? Right. So in that sense, that's definitely an inspiration. And then, you know, I had a shout out from that set designer about Builder's Journey and he said he really liked it and he could really see some great things about it. And that was huge, huge for me. Very, very proud moment right there. 
that is it's so cool uh, and I love that there is this sort of connection between those games and that the that that creative director reached out to him yeah so about the same time that all of this is going on when, when what Lunt is talking about here around 2017 yeah. the Lego games team was undergoing some significant changes under Sean McAvoy's leadership the group had reconfigured to allow it to focus on several different distinct priorities among them of course was a new push for mobile games. Uh, so the group came up with this sort of funnel process to try and whittle down the potential games, genres, and partners uh, that they would work with on these new games. Uh, it was this new process which then started in 2018 with a lot of guidance from the entire LEGO team that led to Lund's big opportunity at the company. Yeah, and maybe to jump in, just to clarify, right? When you say big opportunity, this really started small uh, in the sense that Karsten was supported by the entire LEGO Games team uh, to explore potential ideas while residing in Copenhagen. Um, he was still trying to figure it out and trying to make it work in coordination with the LEGO Group headquarters in the countryside, you know, out there in Billund, Denmark, right? Right. And initially, he was thinking that he was going to essentially do this two to three hour drive between Billund and Copenhagen. So uh, I can't even imagine, frankly, wanting to do that on a regular basis. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but then a after setting up house and, and, you know, getting his family adjusted to back to, back to life in Copenhagen, he realizes this is, is not going to work for him. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly not going to work for his family. So he goes back to the Lego group and uh, he says, look, can I just work in Copenhagen and, and, you know, build up a team of local contractors to work on this game? Yeah, totally. And it was a new way, he thought, uh, to work with Lego games where... He would be sitting alongside his team, you know, daily talking, adjusting, testing, instead of kind of, you know, how he'd been operating before, which was handling it through these traditional monthly check-ins. I mean, we're all very familiar with remote working. Mm -hmm. But I think Lund saw this as a very important experiment, um, you know, one aimed at delivering high-polished LEGO games despite having a very small team and LEGO games at the time was looking at a lot of different projects, right. you know, 60 different opportunities, and it used this kind of narrowing down process to finally select three. And among them was the project dreamed up by Lund and his team. Uh, LEGO Games approved the pitch and gave him the green light to open this experimental studio in Copenhagen. And next, Lund had to figure out what it was that the team was actually going to create. So fortunately, he had a lot of ideas, and Lund talks to us about that. And those ideas eventually led to something that internally the team called the Art House Project. One idea was the notion of of a toy, of a, of, of a sort of a digital experience that wasn't even a game. So it's a sense of just give me the figures and the bricks and the sort of material in general and the fantasy in the universe, but really no interaction enhancements. I just I need to play with it myself. I need to pick up the characters. I need to run around with them. I need to build something in the background. I need to to role play with a digital toy. That was one of the experiences. The other one was uh, a more of a sin like experience of sort of building by numbers kind of thing, where you just had to sort of snap bricks together and slowly build something bigger. And uh, I guess we got some of that essence actually into Builder's Journey as well during the course of the development. But the, the one that we really, that came through was sort of pitching this indie art house style game that 
celebrates the medium in a sort of artistic, non-verbal way uh, and in, in every single aspect of the craft of making games like music, so sound, visual effects, uh, game design. Uh, everything had to sort of speak with that voice of the new new age, uh, you can say, artistic games. When you did the uh, the original pitch, what what was sort of the elevator pitch for this game? It was this whole trying to sort of uh, look at a different genre, the puzzle genre, as sort of a, a, a representation of the Lego idea, which means that every decision you make when you play with Lego bricks is like, where does it sit? Which color? What color is it? How does it fit right here? All those decisions that you actually make when you play, uh, we wanted to sort of mimic those in a game, and we felt the puzzle genre was a good place to do it. And then we wanted to, to have a, a sort of a narrative inside of that puzzle, so it needed to tell a story about play and about sort of maybe the, the problems that we have that we're not playing enough. Um, and then the whole sort of, can you say, nonverbal and artistic poetic angle as well. Uh, so those were kind of the three pillars as far as I remember. So Lund tells us that he was given what he calls a bag of money. Uh, yeah. I, I wish I'd gotten a bag of money sometime in my life. It's <laughs> pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, just hand it to you. There yes. you go. He takes his bag of money. He goes back to Copenhagen, uh, and he starts hiring some contractors. So the idea was that he was going to come up with these sort of high-level concepts and then work with this team of contractors to have them sort of do the coding for the concepts. <laughs> um, and then he would take this and then go to a visual concept studio in the area and have them kind of create the art for it. And then once they settled on this sort of singular experience that they liked through this process, he would then take that prototype, which is what he ended up doing. He ends yeah. up taking this final prototype back to the Lego group in Billund and presents it to them during one of the Lego group's regular Lego games play days. I remember showing that prototype and actually just it, it had that vibe of you can do this. It is a Lego brick. You know how it works. So I just gave the, the tablet to people and had them try it themselves. And everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people was like, I don't know what to do here. I can't, I don't play games. But actually they, they did know what to do and they did understand it just out of the box. So that was that was sort of the first little proof. And I think then everybody saw that, that you know, I remember Paul Skor coming down and I gave him the tablet and he said, I, I don't... I don't know how to play these kinds of games. And he said, just try. And he actually did it, and he actually snapped some bricks together. And he was like, wow, that's that's amazing. That's sort of the first proof. And then I got sort of the, the green light there to go ahead with a little bit bigger bag of money and 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 hire some more people over that summer, uh, 18, and, and ramp up uh, prototyping development for what would become yeah, Builder's Journey. Once the concept was nailed down, Lund and that small group of contractors began to do more detailed prototype concepting. Jonas Hagerson was the first hire at Lightbrick Studio and is now the studio's game designer. He said work on those prototypes started in August of 2018. We started with some very abstract puzzles with Lego bricks and uh, just just to see what what does the brick itself uh, entail and what what can you do with just creating a row of of uh, simple uh, one by one bricks and then uh, deleting one of them and giving that one to the player see what happens that's uh, <laughs> a lot of magic <laughs> I think uh, Carsten would use the word magic but a lot of uh, Magic, yeah, comes from uh, 
just looking at it, it as building blocks and uh, potential rather than representing anything. To begin with, we, we had this cadence of saying we will make a prototype a month, which is going to be a full game. Here Carson Lent speaking again. And the first one was sort of very abstract and very just built with bricks. And we tried to sort of present people with some bricks and then they would choose them and put them together in, in what would seem like the good you say set up and then they would get a correct answer or a wrong answer if it didn't work they had to rebuild it and stuff like that it was very abstract the next one we did was sort of a little bit of a narrative of a of a kid uh, and a dad uh, on on a trekking trip and the kid fell into some a waterfall and he ended in a weird robotic world and then he came back uh, after that trial and uh, met with his dad again and they end up standing together on what we call the hugging brick which is sort of the double jumper where these two characters can stand really close and looks like looks like they're hugging and that was sort of the that was the full game and i remember we had this thing where after a successful milestone and a successful deadline reached we 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 went out to have sushi with a very small team and we just we shipped the build to uh, to some lego people like danny and, and don and while we were sitting there eating sushi, they played the game and they sent screenshots of their progress and they sort of wrote comments while they played. And they played sort of, it was like a little competition between the two who got the furthest. And and it was just such a beautiful moment because they, they sort of said, wow, this is great. I can't put it down. And they played and played and played and they commented on the little moments and they, they thought it was beautiful. And it's just, it was really a good uh, sort of memory from the, a feeling that we're onto something here. It actually... It actually works. I love hearing Carson talk about that. I mean, just his his enthusiasm, it's so infectious. But hearing how people in his team, you know, even in the Lego group, reacted to these early prototypes, um, I think that excitement over the gameplay that was already possible at that level uh, really gave Carson and his team a boost, you know? Yeah, uh, it is. it is lovely, I think, to hear... Uh, the this group, this idea that this group created this sort of almost ephemeral thing. You know, it's it's this moment where the idea that Lund had, uh, the, uh, this sort of spark turning into this tiny little flame that they are sort of shielding and they don't want to go out. And, and, and then, uh, you know, during this dinner hearing, you know, Already, people are reacting to it and saying how much they love it. And and then Lund uh, talks to us about how they took this sort of tiny concept that is this sort of beautiful creation and slowly fed into it these other ideas to try to build it out and make it into a bigger thing. Yeah, then we started new prototypes with new mechanics. We had sort of traversal driving mechanics. We had enemies. We had, you know, we, start, we just examined all sorts of aspects without even actually thinking about a product and a deadline. This is Carson Lund speaking again. This is kind of the mandate to say, let's, let's, let's make something that feels right before we decide what it is. I think everything about starting a new game studio for me was about trying to say, can we do, can we sort of execute on all the little truths that we've heard or talked about or told each other during the, the, the course of our careers. Can we just do it? Uh, I mean, what would happen if we actually just did what we always tell each other to do? I think there's always these, uh, you know, catch in every single craft, there's always these phrases that everybody talks about, right? Like an architect, you have to build a building from the ground up and 
you know, in, like in games, you have to sort of, you have to nail and find the fun before you step into the big production because you cannot produce something that isn't fun and you have to sort of really do things in order. You have to test things very thoroughly and understand what how the audience engages with your game. And you have to make games that don't have tutorials and they, 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 they should be able to teach you how they work themselves without actually telling you anything. That's a good game. All these little truths and wisdoms we try to so let's just do it all let's just implement that in this game stubbornly and you know like old men saying this is what a good game is let's just do it um so we had to experiment with all these things before we could actually start saying okay now we're making the game those prototypes eventually led to an idea that the team thought could become the final game Unfortunately, it turned into a months-long dead end, uh, according to Hoggison. And the launch date, tied to the launch of Apple Arcade in December 2019, was getting closer and closer. And here's Jonas Hoggison talking about that. If, if you played Lego Builders Journey, you uh, ex- experience all levels as sort of micro-dioramas right now. Right. That wasn't how we started. Uh, we started with... Uh, Great big landscapes built out completely 100% out of Lego bricks with uh, the landscape spanning from uh, left to right on your screen. I don't think, uh, I mean, it sounds like uh, what stopped us was uh, the workload, but it actually wasn't that. It was mostly just, it felt um, unfocused and it felt uh, not Lego uh, because of it trying to be a representation of a world more than just being the Lego bricks. Hoggison said this design also meant that there was a different perspective, which added a level of complexity and also sort of watered down the gameplay focus. Um, And, you know, there were some benefits that came along with this kind of grander experience, like more impactful visuals. But in our interview with Hoggison, he said that it felt more like a Tomb Raider game that didn't really celebrate the Lego brick like the studio wanted to, right, Brian? Yeah, and you know, and it's tough. Frankly, they realize at some point that they're actually making the wrong game. Um, and they realize this three to four months into development, according to Hoggison. So it, it Lunt says that one of the things that really helped them make this realization was the fact that they had this regular user testing going on. And that's what really underscored the fact that they were on the wrong path. So they come to this realization. They realize now they need to rescope the entire project. And that's because they had spent essentially 2018 prototyping, and then 2019, you know, investing in all this development, but now have this failed start that has cut deep into their progress. So the only way they're going to hit their deadline is to sort of change what they're aiming to do. I think we had a very, very strong idea to begin with when we were only the small little team sending stuff to the Lego group and Lego games and Danny and Donnie looking at it saying, wow, this is great, this is great, you're onto something. And then we decided to ramp up and, and decided to actually make the game, and we we had the whole the whole Apple thing and everything, and then we also decided to start testing a lot. So we tested the game every single week. So we went into that development phase thinking we're totally onto something. This is just going to be so great. And then we started testing, and then we realized that we're not at all onto anything. Nobody understood. <laughs> anything about the game. They couldn't pick up a brick, they couldn't place it, they didn't understand what it was about. They, there was no words, they, they didn't know what to do. So we were totally, you know, uh, it, was a, it was a tough moment at that point because we were so we had so much momentum and then we just realized it doesn't work, actually. Yeah. 
That sounds to me like the hula hoop moment in Hudsucker Proxy, yes. where he's showing them the circle and saying, it's fun, you can play with it. <laughs> and no one gets the fact that it's a hula hoop, and you're kind of like, wait, yeah. what don't you understand? Yeah, uh, that's that, we had several of those moments, uh, actually, but this one, the first one was like, oh yeah, uh, it doesn't work. So, And at that point, we've made sort of the only really big mistake we made, I mean, we made lots of mistakes, obviously, but but I, I but but the the one about saying I think there's a true saying: don't set the deadline before you know what you're making. Uh, but we actually did that because you know we needed to 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 have a product, and we needed to have a platform for the product, and we sort of so everything pointed towards the fact that if we could deliver this for late uh, nineteen, it would be a very good idea for the Apple Arcade platform. Um, so we actually had put a deadline against this. And uh, so we knew we had a year to do it, and we knew it didn't work. And then we decided, okay, let's do a little bit of a three-word tutorial, just tap to pick up the brick or hold to place and stuff like that. And just remove, if people know how to do it, just remove it, but just have a light little bit of a show them how to play, not what to play, not what to do, but how. And the instant we did that, everybody liked it. It was just uh, five out of five, four and a half out of five in the ratings, and everybody just loved it. And the theory was that you cannot not tell them what to do and not tell them how to do it at the same time. You have to tell them something, right? So we, we have a little bit of a brief text experience, uh, text tutorial in the beginning until you get it, and then it's away. And then people started getting into the idea that they actually have to figure things out for themselves in this game. We're not going to tell them the solution. We're not going to hint it. They have to figure it out. And it's so rewarding to figure things out, to actually try experimenting, putting things together in new ways, and then getting a, a different result. So so after that point, we, we started believing in it again. And then we have the second, the second big hurdle was then actually telling a story that was understood, which was equally tough. Do you recall when that first aha moment was, when you realized, okay, we have this big problem, and now you've come up with a solution for it? Yeah, I think it's when we saw, I mean, we, we cloud tested a little bit in the beginning when we started seeing good reviews coming in uh, from the, those little tests and we started seeing players, uh, in-house testers, just breezing through the first 10 minutes. We were like, okay, now it works. When was that, would you say? Was that still in 2018 or was that, were you in 2019? That was in 19. I mean, that was uh, around March, April or some very late. Wow, super, yeah. Fr frighteningly late. And we had this... <laughs> Yeah, it was scary. We had we had a, a notion of a story we would tell. We had some different chapters. I think we spent sort of the better part of I don't know around Christmas, December, on writing a big, epic, overarching narrative for what was going to become a three to five hour video game, uh, because we wanted to sort of compete with those sort of indie style titles. Um, so we had a lot of work to do, uh, but but we decided to 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 sort of hold on to fixing that before. So. At that point, we also needed to look at scope again and say, okay, guys, uh, if we want to reach this deadline, we kind of need to revisit the whole idea of this game being, being this epic. While rescoping the project helped, uh, the team still had a major problem. The inherent structure and gameplay of what was now called Builder's Journey was in place, but the players didn't seem to understand or sometimes even notice the story. Uh, the team set a goal for itself, 
to have people understand and be able to summarize the game's story back to the developers before their summer break in August. And so that you you get over that hurdle, and then you mentioned that the other big hurdle, it sounds like, was how you take that that play experience, that gameplay loop, and then layer in uh, some meaningful storytelling. So yes. how, how did you recognize that was going to be a problem and, and what was the solution? Yeah, I think coming off the sort of, okay, the first time user experience works, usability is, is happening, people understand it and they get it. Now we need to tell the story of, of play. Um, we, we decided that come summer holiday, we at, just before we break for, for summer holiday, we want a positive test in terms of story. We want the audience director to be able to tell us the story back. If they could just say, what happens in this game? We didn't have the full story. We only have the first few beats, which is sort of kid and dad on a, on a hiking trip. They end up home. They play together. Dad gets interrupted by something. He needs to go to work, do a mundane task, come back, gets interrupted again, go to work, do a mundane task, come back. That's That was all we had at that point. We just wanted players to understand that. And and so we, we really made some moments. We made this whole, oh, there's an alarm going off. Dad has to go off and he has to go and build with these little pyramids and he comes back and then we play a little bit more, but then he gets interrupted again. It was sort of a metaphor for the whole being a parent, having to work all the time and, you know, kids, hey, let's play. What, what are, yeah, okay, I'll play, but I'm just having a half, you know, one eye on my cell phone kind of thing. We wanted to try and show that there is this thing in the world of not having time to play. Uh, we showed it to the to the players and they didn't get it at all. So we asked him, so what, what do you think of the story in the game? And he was like, story? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so they, they, they didn't even understand that there was a story. And they were like, it's, it's uh, and, and I think they, they, they had a hard time retelling things. And so we actually ended up going on summer break and thinking, okay, that, that didn't work. That's, we, we, we didn't succeed there. So Carson and his team take a summer break, and this is where it's kind of cool, Brian, because in the summer of 2019, I was actually at the LEGO headquarters in Billund, Denmark, on assignment with the camera crew and was able to follow the Lightbrick Studio team around for an entire day. Now, of course, I knew that Karsten and his team were working on a game at this point, but I really wasn't aware of where they were with the game development and what this break from their work really meant for them. Their first stop that morning was the Lego Idea House. Uh, It's this unassuming red brick building in the heart of Billund, and it actually combines the original family home of founder Olekir Christensen with his original wooden toy workshop. But now it's a private museum that visually tells the rich history of the Lego Idea from its humble beginnings clear up until today. Uh, access to the Lego Idea House is only for internal visitors or by corporate invitation only, but one of the real treats of this place is hearing the stories. And that day, our guide was the historian and host, Christian Reimerhage. And it wasn't long before the Lightbrick Studio team was standing right in front of the you know infamous Lego brand motto. Only the best is good enough, as we say in, in English. But uh, us Danes here, we know that the Danish is a little bit different than, than that. You know, it doesn't quite say the same thing. And you have to be careful not to misinterpret the English version, because I think only is a dangerous word. Because only the best is good enough. It could sort of be, you know, oh, so I'm not allowed to celebrate along the way. 
you know, I, I know I'm not there yet, but I did good job today, you know. But but if it's only the best that's good enough, then you know, can't I celebrate? You know that I really made progress today, and and, and of course you can. And I think that's what 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 what's what's the problem with with that translation that it it doesn't give you the room to to say you know yeah we 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 did good today, but the understanding as you should view it is that that only the best is good enough for children. So the end result has to be as good as it can be. But of course you are allowed to celebrate along the way. The guy who has worked with wood... We then continue our little journey through the history of the Lego brick from the first plastic injection molding machine to the first Lego brick play system and, and sets. And then Christian decides to take the team downstairs to one of the vaults. Let's take a look. It's in, it's in here. So um, follow me. We follow him down the stairs uh, through a secure door, and then we are in a little space uh, right in front of this row of uh, archiving shelves. Welcome to the vault, or memory lane as we call it. Um, there is a reason for that, you will see. So. What we have down here is uh, seven and a half thousand Lego sets. So it's more or less all retail Lego sets from the mid 60s and until today. So this is really browsing through your, your childhood. So uh, just take your, um, yeah, take your time, take a look. Um, if I were you, I would start at the very end and work your way up. <laughs> so uh, otherwise, just Go crazy. Let's do it. And I'm here for questions. So the group disperses and, and heads towards the first rows, and I have a chance to ask Christian about his experience showing guests the vaults and being a part of their reactions. I, 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 I never get tired of showing people this, uh, this place because um, it, it, there's so much emotion involved in, in this because it's, it's all your memories. And, it's, and maybe you think, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just a set, but then suddenly when you have the box in your hand and you remember, you know, and you look at the alternate models at the back and then, oh, I remember and I, I built it for that Christmas and I, I desperately wanted it, you know, and all of those things. So it's, it's the memories and actually I have, I have seen grown men cry down here. I have. It's, it's, it will do that to you. As I head down to one of the first rows, I actually caught a glimpse of one such touching moment as, as one of the members of the Lightbrick Studio team came across an old set that they had built as a young kid. Um, he had actually never seen the box and was moved uh, to tears remembering how he would build that set just as bricks over and over again. Have mm -hmm. It's a turn there. It's On the next aisle up, um, Carson Lund located the 1979 released Galaxy Explorer set that he had built with his father and actually showed me a picture on his phone of his younger self with his dad and that same setting that they recreated later on with an updated Lego set. You're awesome. This is a photo I have of me, me and my dad uh, from 70s. I guess it's 78 or something. Where we're sitting, yeah, it's around 79. Christmas, and I just got the Space Explorers uh, set. There it is. This is the Space Explorers set. So it brings back memories. 
part of you is just going right back. And part of you feel a little bit old. In the afternoon, the day continued with a very long stop at the Lego house, um, also known as the home of the brick. It's basically 12,000 square meter building filled with 25 million Lego bricks. And I spent the rest of the day there just filming the team, you know, laughing, building, playing, discussing, and assembling. So all in all, it was this very packed, you know, but very memorable day for me to see the Light Brick Studio uh, kind of refuel on all things Lego DNA. I love to hear that story. It's so great that you were there to sort of capture that moment. And more importantly, I think it really shows how taking a break, sort of walking away from your problem and and sort of giving your, yourself a chance to, to clear your head can really reinvigorate you. And I think that's the exact impact that this trip had for uh, Lund and his team. We came back and, and, and just thought, okay, um, maybe, I mean, if we want to reach this, dead, maybe this is not a story, maybe it's a poem, maybe we can just tell the story we want to tell and it doesn't matter if they get it, as long as they have a great experience we will get our message across and they will get what they get and they'll interpret and they'll just play it and have fun. So let's focus on the great experience. Let's tell the story the way we want to play it and not ask them anymore. I don't want to ask them what the story is anymore because, you know, they they can't tell us back. So I'm just, let's not ask them, just make the game. Just see if they can play it and if they like it. And I think it took very few weeks before all of a sudden the players started telling the story back to us unprompted and getting it exactly. And it almost felt like asking them about a story in a game that you experience, that you don't actually have told, is a very hard thing for players to retell, but they can feel it, right? So that feeling is that that maybe it was wrong to actually imply the idea of that of a story or actually just ask for the story, but just tell it and just let it, let it hang there in the air. And all of a sudden they came back with ideas of saying, Ooh, the dad tries to come back, but he doesn't have the time. He, he, he's, he's back in his lunch break. And we were like all of a sudden getting ideas back from the players of what they expected of this experience and what they would feel if this and this happened. And actually even trying to implement some of these things back into the game. So it almost all of a sudden it became sort of a dialogue uh, in this development phase. And so that, that was actually a great experience that just almost like giving up actually was the best course of action in terms of, of narrative because we simply just implied the story, more of a poet, poet kind of, poetry kind of thing. Your desire to even make this studio, Karsten, comes from, mm-hmm. you know, this personal desire to be reunited with your family. Mm-hmm. And obviously this, the parallel here is pretty obvious to me, the mm-hmm. sense of like the son and the boy, and mm-hmm. I can see you going to work and saying goodbye to your kids, and then you drive to Billund. Mm-hmm. Um, did, you, did that ever hit you where the, the story was kind of your story? Actually... Not really. Mm-hmm. I think it, it didn't hit me in that sense. But I think one of the other sort of deep inner truths is if you do something that you feel, if you do something that you feel is true, I think that it, people talk a lot about that. Is it true? Are you sort of true to yourself or true to what you're doing? So I think it, it, it was about not having to leap too much for these themes. It was about trying to to sort of dive inside for, for these emotions that made it so fairly 
sort of easy to come up with, if you will, and to yeah. and to verify somehow. So so I, obviously afterwards it was like, is this my is am I the builder? Is this the builder's journey or <laughs> is this my journey or something? And maybe it is. It, it's a much longer journey than just these two years for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so yes, obviously the, the, after it came up, but I think it was just a natural thing of saying, does it feel true? Yeah. What we're doing, and I think we, we we're working with developers that are a lot younger, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and working with some of my own age and, and some of, like Henrik Lindstrand, we have some great conversations about this topic, which is actually a really interesting topic about how do you sort of relate to the whole distribution of your time, what you spend your time on. Uh, I mean, are you working hard for someone? What are you What are you doing it for? What does it make sense to you? You need to spend more time yeah. playing in general, also at work and everywhere, just to sort of give yourself that opportunity. And I think that maybe that for me was sort of also a wake-up call for myself to say, hey, uh, have some fun once in a while. It would be a big oversight, Brian, in this episode, um, not to talk about the music of Builder's Journey. Yeah. It's uh, this incredible soundtrack composed and played by the talented Henrik Lindstrand. So I talked to Henrik, and uh, he told me about how he started playing piano as as a young child, basically as a three-year-old, and then with a tutor at the age of five, he continues, you know, studying piano, and you know, plays music throughout his youth. And in his twenties, early twenties, he's accepted into the Conservatory of Music in Copenhagen. After that, he joins a band. <laughs> he joins the band Kashmir, and he tours around the world with them from 1999 to 2014. After that, he kind of settles down, and he writes his own music and his solo album. And they're these really simple, beautiful, kind of melodic, melancholy piano tracks. It was kind of around this time, too, that Karsten Lund was looking for music, looking for the right tone, looking for, you know, something he can add to Builder's journey to tell the story. And a colleague of his recommended, you know, Henrik Lindstrand's album, and uh, Karsten told me a little bit about that was like when he heard that track. And I actually remember listening to it uh, on my way to the office and crossing the big bridge from, uh, I live in Amar, which is sort of the island. You have to cross a bridge to go to the mainland part of the city. Um, and I cried. It was so weird because it was like, ugh, it just hit me somehow. It was just like, this is exactly it. And I was I was like, that that's that's got to mean something. So Henrik, um, did Karsten tell you about his experience with your music on, on the bridge? Yes, he actually did, but uh, not at our first meeting, but he did that uh, later on uh, when we got to know each other better. And, but uh, that, that is, of course, amazing for me as a composer to hear that and to know that I'm, I'm not just hired because they need a composer and they, they need to try different things out, but, but he actually felt that I was the right person to do this work. And, uh, and I must say, I was very, very optimistic after our first meeting because I've also felt connected with the initial ideas that that he explained to me about the game and the meaning of the game and uh, I felt a strong connection to this project so to speak. That strong connection to the game continues and, and Henrik's early involvement during the many iterations of the game 
really helped both Karsten and Enric uh, find the music and the voice of Builder's Journey. We knew that it was going to be very simple and simplistic in that sense that uh, we, we want the player to become you know, involved in the game and, and experience the game as a poetic and emotional journey. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if at that point if it was set in stone, but he, I remember he said something about no dialogue. And, and that was also key to my work because I knew, okay, the music needs to also have like a narrative role and um, help telling the story. I wanted for sure to continue with this collaboration because I think it has been one of the best creative uh, collaborations I've, I've, I've had so far. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we feel that we, we are onto something and we just want to make it better and uh, take it to the next level. I think it's a lot about creativity and uh, also, you know, a picture of, of the world we're living in and, and pe- people are having you know, a tough time with their lives. They are putting their children in, in daycare and, and uh, work so many hours each day. And, and at some point, I hope that perhaps when you play the game, you will stop for a moment and think, okay, do I, do I need to work this much? Is, is it worth it? Everything about Builder's Journey and its creation was an experiment on some level. Uh, the, the LEGO group's decision to reconfigure the way it approached the game was new. Its decision to fund internal projects in the way it did for Lightbrick was new. And, and while the LEGO group had over the years purchased or established game studios in different ways, this approach to building something from the inside out was s- sort of an important experiment. About a year into development, in in the fall of 2019, another unusual thing happened. LEGO Ventures started showing interest in the studio. While the idea of an innovation team inside the LEGO group had been around for a while, uh, the idea of creating a venture capital arm for the brand, not the company, didn't bubble up until 2017. A year later, LEGO Ventures was formed. The group makes investments in what it sees as the future of learning, creativity, and play. That includes working with entrepreneurs, ideas, and startups in a slew of different industries, including VR, adaptive education, and even gaming. While LEGO Ventures has invested in video game developers in the past, like Clang, Ventures in particular had never done something like investing in an internal LEGO game studio, uh, according to Michael Stahl, who heads up the incubation studio at LEGO Ventures. So, so obviously, kind of when when Carsten, um, you know, initiated what became Lightbrick Studio, it started as an internal project in in the games team uh, within the LEGO group. Uh, and, and kind of, I, I know Carsten from from way back. We used to work together when I worked at the Lego Group, and we kind of been following the project for for some time. Um, and I think, in effect, um, Builder's Journey, which was the first title I developed, was was developed in a way that was kind of resembling kind of a more basically an external kind of startup, right? But still within the Lego idea. And so the, the conversation started on fairly early on, and say like, you know, if if we want to kind of take this project further, like how could we how could we kind of potentially support um, Lightbrick Studio, and that kind of ultimately led to the fact that we were spinning it out and, and now kind of invested into that as a separate group. And in terms of, of structure, what, how is it different than it being um, a, a just a Lego group studio? What, why, what's the sort of differential uh, between it being 
an external studio that the Lego group owns and an external studio that is invested in by Lego Ventures? So I think the biggest difference is that they obviously now have a, a remit to go above and beyond kind of any legal brick-based kind of IP in terms of development, right? So they can develop, you know, standalone titles that is still within the, the kind of the Lego idea of, of learning true play and systematic creativity, um, but above and beyond kind of the, the legal brick, um, brick-based kind of system. So I think that's the biggest difference. I think another another difference um, is that by by spinning it out and kind of giving it uh, the premise uh, of being a game studio versus being a, a game studio in a kind of um, more physical structure of like manufacturing um, you know physical items, I think hopefully brings some some freedom and and kind of more a better foundation for for Lightbrick to be successful in kind of a, a digital space. So it's, it's a fairly kind of straightforward in the sense that it's a separate company. Um, Lego Ventures invested money into that company. Um, so we are majority shareholders of the company. Lightbrick Studio will have business agreements with the Lego Group. Um, so basically, it's a, it's a business relationship. Obviously, the team is a former Lego Group employees, so they know kind of the internal team uh, fairly well. And then Lego Ventures uh, and a member of the Lego Group have board representation on, on on the board. So so there's a link between, but it is an independent company that is invested in by by Lego Ventures. Mats Prom joined Lightbrick Studio in August 2020 as the director of operations. Uh, but prior to that, it's important to understand that he worked at the Lego Group for more than six years in a number of roles. Uh, most recently, as the director of Lego Toy Enhanced Games. Uh, and more importantly, he spent his early career in some of the same massive studios as Lunt. Uh, that included nine years at IO Interactive and another two or so at Square Enix Montreal. And it was at Square that Proms created an incubation process for prototyping new games rapidly, uh, which ultimately led to the success of the mobile game Hitman Go. It also provided a strong history and deep knowledge of a process that would later be used to spin out Lightbrick Studio yeah. with his help. And Mats Prom said he decided to join the studio because he feels strongly that the investment by Lego Ventures in Lightbrick Studio, mm -hmm. which was finalized in late 2020, is also important for the Lego Group as a company. I would say that the Lego company is looking to diversify in Lego play, but also in, in really coming closer to the goal of realizing learning through play, right? This is, this is our mission for the, for the long term. And of course, you can do plenty of learning through play with the minifigure, but the Lego brick itself also has some quite unique uh, properties in that you can build and experiment and try out things, um, you know, by building and combining. So I think the, the Lego brick deserves some, some special attention. Uh, we've been quite successful, or TT Games, you know, uh, on our behalf, have been quite a um, successful with minifigure play and with action play within uh, uh, the Lego universe, um, but yeah, brick play I think is something that we're still we're still pursuing. Do you feel that uh, having having Light Brick stand apart as its own company is going to make it easier for it to sort of explore these ideas than it than it would have been had it remained a part of the Lego Group uh, internally? Yes, I, I think having Lightbrick Studio as a separate uh, entity, a separate company with its own goals, definitely makes it uh, makes it easier for us to pursue those goals and and pursue um, the the idea of the 
the digital Lego brick play and digital Lego play in general um, without having to think about how does this fit into the, you know, how does this support the physical Lego portfolio? How does this support physical Lego play? Uh, the Lego group is already super strong at making those physical um, and digital physical play experiences. And for that reason, it, it's it's hard for, for the Lego group to prioritize something that it isn't very strong at doing yet. And, and that's why we need something like Lightbrick Studio and maybe we need more experiments like Lightbrick Studio to focus on those things that could be, you know, part of the Lego brand in the future. So while the the conversations with Lego Ventures was had been going on for a while, the actual deal didn't come about until after the game Builder's Journey had launched, uh, Carson Luntz told us. Uh, and it seems it was a, a byproduct of essentially trying to figure out what it was that Lightbrick Studio yeah. wanted to do next. How do we continue this? How can we actually turn this into something that is more sustainable, right? Uh, obviously, we couldn't. It, it's, it was tough to sort of run it like that, like with multiple uh, freelancers in one setup. Uh, we wanted to have something where we could actually hire people uh, and where we could actually sort of give um, a longer sort of commitment to, to actually recruiting a new talent into the group and just to say, how can we turn this into a more lasting thing? And that was a little hard to do within the Lego group because then you have to sort of deal with the whole resource management and you know funding internally and there's a lot of different things where it's where it's a little tougher to to uh, to sort of get these things flying right so that's when 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 sort of lego ventures was slowly growing into becoming this thing that actually had these abilities it started small as well and, and slowly came into fruition and they actually get, they got the ability to build studios and to find studios. It started to become a thing we could say, hey, what if we did it this way? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't that actually be a good idea? It's a very exciting time for us, for sure. This, this idea of taking something that was kind of born inside the Lego group, but now spinning it out as a separate company. This is Matt's prom speaking. Uh, it's not something that, that, uh, we've done at least not in recent times in the Lego group. So it's been difficult and it's been exciting and it's, it's a beginning of a journey that I think hopefully will, will enable the Lego group to be much more innovative in the future and try things out uh, by enabling teams to, to experiment and in a sense to experiment and play and learn by making new products and making new companies. This financial investment in the studio means it can now start work on what's next. Uh, currently, the big push is expanding Builder's Journey to something beyond an iPhone Apple Arcade exclusive. And Lund explains to us what that could mean. We're expanding it. We've, we've added a lot, a lot of new levels in the game. And then we're sort of just to sort of uh, some of the stuff that we always wanted to do, some interesting new twists on the same mechanics and stuff. Not trying to keep that no filler mentality, and then we're sort of putting a new ending to the game. That kind of hammers home the point that we already made, but but a lot more clear and, and a little bit more, maybe a little, hopefully a lot more uh, sort of heartwarming. And so when you say that, will you then, is there are obviously different approaches. You could go with something where people have different paths to get to the same end point, or mm -hmm. you could extend the game, or you mm -hmm. could have different endings. Is, are, you, are those w one of those things the thing you're doing to sort of build out the game? We're still, we're still running with the same format, so it is more or less going to be a linear experience, but we're sort of, 
we're introducing, we need to introduce new mechanics all the time. So we're doing that because that's what the game does. Uh, it's still with the core of, of a brick building at, at its at its center, but we're going for we're trying to explain uh, play in a new way. I think so. We're going for 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 a new creative angle to the game, a little bit more open ended. It's about expanding the game without breaking it. It needs to retain its its sense of smallness. <laughs> still, if you understand, if you understand what I'm right. saying. So in the long term, it's definitely you can say part of our mission is to to work with Lego play in general and not necessarily be bound by the Lego brick. Again, Matt's promise speaking. We just think that the Lego brick is such a good representation of the Lego idea. The idea that you can you can build things, you can take them apart, you can experiment, and you can learn uh, in a really in an open ended and fun way. Uh, so so for now, we are definitely not done exploring what the Lego brick can do. Moving forward, uh, I guess two questions. One, will you be solely working on this or will you have other projects? And in terms of other projects, my understanding is what you do as a studio may not always include Lego bricks. Mm -hmm. So uh, what will you be looking at after you move uh, past basically Builder's Journey? We're still fully occupied with this game. Uh, But obviously we have so many more ideas, uh, especially for... For the Lego brick, I think we, it's, we're not done with that topic at all. We have so many new things we want to say and so many different scales to play with and different kinds of characters and different ways of, of conveying these ideas. So we're, we, we are very sort of, we, we, yeah, we are, we're eager to, to try new things. We know we need to get this out the way. It's very important as a studio to be able to deliver to more platforms and to have all that infrastructure in place and to actually really try and top ourselves has proven to be tough uh, but it's doable and that we also need to prove that we can do that right we need to learn i think the, one of the mantras for the studio is that if you're not working on something that you don't have the answers to yet or, or, or working on learning something new uh, then you're not then we're not doing it right so we're constantly pushing ourselves and then we want to dive into some new experiences obviously we have a we have, you know, a, a sweet spot for, for for the brick and for for what we can do with it, uh, but, but there's so many different ways of, of expressing that in terms of, of it, how open and creative can we get it, how sort of player driven, uh, you know, do we want to work with with more than one player playing together? How do we sort of make a language of play between players and stuff like that? That's so many interesting things. We we have, we have so many ideas. So do you? And just to be clear. Um, I, I want to make sure that people understand because you're backed by Lego Ventures. My understanding is that doesn't necessarily mean that every game has to feature the Lego brick. Is that correct? No, that's true. Yes, that's correct. We 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 have a mandate to sort of do other things. I think as long as we express the Lego idea, uh, which is sort of learning through play, uh, the whole systemic creativity, and all these things that are interesting, still interesting to us. Uh, we can do all sorts of other things. We can make our own uh, fun little systems, or we can make a game that expresses creativity in a new way, or we can make playful experiences that maybe maybe they're not even games, maybe they're just play. Uh, and I think we we definitely keep a a sort of a, a an, an inventive and explorative uh, side to us, where we will try things without knowing where we're going. Um, and that I think that's definitely in our DNA that we just you know, jump into stuff and see, hey, what if I do this? What happens? We we definitely we we make so many things. I mean, uh, in the process of actually nailing what it is we want to ship, 
we we throw a, I mean ninety percent of what we do we throw out, but but it isn't thrown out. It's just not shipped. So we have stuff lying around saying, "Ooh, that was interesting." This thing it can't be used for this game, but it is interesting as a standalone thing. So we have a lot of those things as well, sort of a, a, a little bits and pieces of interactions or game modes or play uh, loops or levels and stuff that we can go back and revisit. And I think there's a lot of the stuff that we made very early on in the phase of, of development that where we were more free and more sort of direct in our approach that we that we we gravitate back to because it was. It was done in a sort of, a, of an atmosphere of more, can you say, freedom and 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 no goals. Um, that then we can take back and look at and say, wow, this is this is something new. Let's try and see what we can make out of this. In many ways, the journey of Builder's journey is the tale of Lund's own personal journey and the lessons he and his team learned at Lightbrick Studio. And we continued our conversation with Lund about that. You've gone over the course of several years uh, from working at the Lego Group with this sort of dream in your head to producing a game, launching a standalone studio, and even winning uh, uh, one of what I'm sh- sure will be multiple awards for that game. Wh- what does that feel like? That's that is its own sort of builder's journey, I think. It's yours. It feels it feels great. It's still I still have to sort of uh, pinch my arm sometimes. It's it's. I mean, we've been so focused and it's been so tough in many ways uh, uh, that it's sort of we're slowly. At least I am sort of feel like I'm slowly waking up again and saying, "Oh, what what just happened here?" I also think it, while it was maybe that one of the toughest things I've ever done, it was also one of the easiest things at the same time. Uh, it's a weird thing to say. I don't know if it makes sense, but it was just like it felt so true, and it felt like a combination of everything that I've learned. There's a there's a huge focus on what is actually important, and I think if there's one takeaway from this whole thing is that it is about focus on this trying to spend a little bit more time focusing on what is actually the most important thing in your life right now, right? And I think. So we did that with this game. Everything we did was the the most important thing we needed to fix. And the studio choice and people choice and culture that's brought out of this has this vibe of essence somehow, right? We want to make games. We are celebrating the craft of making games. But we also realize that it's tough work. It's hard to do it. So we give each other lots of space and lots of time to, to, to sort of come back and to get the ideas. We realize that it just, we can't pressure these things into existence. So there's a very sort of a family vibe is, is cool. We're also tough on each other. We also call each other out on stuff. We also say, hey, this isn't fun. This isn't working. How do we fix it? What do we do? It's, it's, it's a little better. It's, sometimes it is that the uncomfortability of not being there yet sitting together in a room and having to carry that thing is is tough. Uh, but then when it works, we're like, yeah, that's great. Uh, let's make some more. Okay. And it's, it's, it's very much the craft that is the core. And I think so. So, so this is about this studio is going to be about the craft. It's going to be about how do we continuously become better at this craft and everything we do needs to point in that direction. This could be the birth of a whole new you can say a whole new family member in the in the Lego family of companies, right? Uh, so so if we're successful, then 
then the same way that we have, let's say, the Legoland parks, which is a totally different way of, of you know, can say entertaining kids and families and engaging them in Lego play, then uh, Lightbrick Studio can become a new, like tiny little sister to to the bigger uh, Lego Group uh, sister company that will focus on its own special type of Lego play, which is the digital Lego play based on the Lego idea and rooted in the Lego brick. So so that's what's super exciting for me about this journey is that it's it's not just one game, it's it's a 10-year journey to develop, we can say, a new company and a new type of Lego play. Yeah, I, uh, I love playing Lego Builder's Journey. And for me personally, it was a real privilege to, to meet Karsten, Mods, and most everyone in the Lightbrick Studio team. Um, Karsten is, what should I say, like super inspirational guy, visionary uh, with, with Lego play, and also understanding, I think, the magic of the Lego brick like only a few I've, I've ever met. Uh, he just has this very infectious way of talking about the importance of play. And uh, Lightbrick Studio, same thing. The team there, just these passionate game makers who, you know, don't put themselves under these, you know, pointless deadlines or pressures, but also want to create an experience that is rich and poetic, uh, that's different and new. Um, it was really cool to be there, and they're all kind of in this small little little space working together. Karsten plays multiple roles. As the producer and creative director, he has, you know, he started with this very ambitious scope, and then he narrowed it down, and I thought this was very important when he says, you know, um, if you can't make the game great, you know, you have to make it smaller until you make it great. And this idea that um, you can be ambitious about a game and you can think, you know, in terms of these lofty ideas you want to do, but if it's not a great gameplay experience, you know, what's the point? And um, I remember when the game was released, I downloaded it immediately. And yes, I also admit when I played it, it was little short and it left me a little hungry wanting more but um, I also remember completing the game and having a little bit of kind of this residue and this emotional response to the music the images the design and just this kind of soothing beautiful effect the game has in this very aesthetic way and it's all Lego bricks so you are kind of engaging with the physicality of the Lego experience on a digital front. And looking back at the history of LEGO games, I think this is a very important experience. Um, you think of some of the most ambitious efforts of LEGO games, uh, LEGO Universe and, and some of these others, really, really big, ambitious MMO-type games. And then you contrast that with LEGO Builder's Journey, this kind of small, on-your-device, you know, Apple Arcade kind of puzzle game. And... Um, Wow, it's remarkable to see what what a journey that is and also how important it is that this is taking place with this kind of philosophical uh, art house, you know, boutique game studio experience uh, that is that is taking place uh, with with the blessing of the Lego group. So I am just delighted with this game and I, I learned a lot about um, what it means to make a game and the importance of bringing the Lego play experience to the digital in such a charming and wonderful way. 
Yeah, I, I am. I'm so envious of you that you were able to be there for some of those moments in person and and you know watch this game unfold and this journey sort of unfold uh, in person with with Karsten Lund and his team. Uh, I, what I think is really fascinating about this story is that uh, in many ways, li like we like we sort of talked about in the interviews, how the game in some ways reflects Karsten Lund's own personal journey. I think all of this sort of is a reflection of what the Lego group is hoping to do as a company uh, at writ large. I think uh, what we see is in the development of the game, in the creation of the studio, we see Karsten Lund and a small group of people identifying these problems and then finding interesting solutions. So in the case of Karsten, uh, we have him, you know, wanting to move his family back to what he considers to be his home and figuring out a way to make that work and still work at the Lego group. And then, you know, taking that one step further and sort of winning over Lego, the Lego group's approval so that they can develop not not in uh, Billund, but in Copenhagen, and he can actually be there by their side, uh, the developers, and sort of really throw himself entirely into this project. Um, but we also see sort of when you step back, the uh, this this whole development cycle and and the idea of identifying problems and then coming up with interesting solutions is also reflected back on the Lego group. Uh, and and even on the Lego ventures. Um, so they they look at what he does is sort of an examination of what the Lego group has been struggling with for a long time, which is this idea of it's this massive company that sometimes can maybe get a little stuck in its ways or that sometimes struggles to find uh, or identify innovation in time. And so... Um, this is a company that, if you look at some of the issues that I think Karsten Loon's uh, efforts have sort of exposed, it's a company that is sometimes risk-adverse and, and sometimes can get lost in its own uh, sort of bubble of influence. And so by creating this new spin-off studio that is being backed by LEGO Ventures and by being given the capacity to step outside that bubble and create their own works... I think what we're going to find is that Karsten Lund and his team are going to be able to create entirely new experiences, things that aren't a reflection of what has been successful in the past or sort of weighed down by things that weren't successful in the past. So he can he can go on his own path, uh, his own journey, to use the sort of language of this episode, and hopefully arrive at a place that will bring with him uh, a new and interesting future for LEGO games. And I, I think it's also really important to keep in mind uh, the issue of timing. Where, where timing has not always been a friend to the LEGO Group's many ventures, uh, it happens that in, in the case of Lightbrick Studio and Builder's Journey, it was. Uh, this was a case where not just timing, but funding, uh, the right game, the right group of people all seemed to come together to create something sort of magical and open the path that would lead to the uh, not just the formation of Lightbrick Studios, but that studio then spinning away from the LEGO group to become its own unique thing.
Bits and Bricks is made possible by LEGO Games. Our producer is Ronnie Scherer. Your hosts are Brian Crescente and Ethan Vincent. Episode producing and editing by Ethan Vincent. Writing by Brian Crescente. Mixing and sound design by Dan Carlisle. Original music by Peter Primer and FounderMusic.com. Additional music provided by Enric Lindstrand from his solo album Laken and the soundtrack of the award-winning game Lego Builder's Journey, which you can play on Apple Arcade today. We'd like to thank our participants, Christian Rehmahage, Jonas Hagesen, Enric Lindstrand, Carsten Lund, Mats Palm, and Michael Stahl. We'd also like to acknowledge the entire LEGO Games team, as well as the great folks at the LEGO Idea House for their support. For questions and comments, write us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. And as always, stay tuned for more episodes of Bits and Bricks. <laughs>